That was some weird shit, man. That wasn't even porn. That was borderline experimental. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil. I don't know if he's still the robot. Have you gained sentience yet, or are you, you know, like an artificial person now? I don't. I mean, how does it categorize like uh, artificial intelligence? I mean, because it's no, it's it's obviously I've gone well beyond like rogue Google program. Well, I mean, can you feel them? But can you remember them? Yeah, yeah, and I can uh, dream electric sheep. <laughs> See, the real definition is whether you can poop or not. <laughs> and we're not talking about like, robots tonight, so this has nothing to do with the topic. I'm, I'm like uh, that episode of Futurama where he, he shits an actual brick. The pilot episode, by the way. <laughs> the pilot, exactly. And you you heard Peter back there, all the way up from Serbian Canada. Yes, Serbian Canada. It is a new quadrant of Canada. We will prevail. You're you're built enough. You you are a quadrant of Canada. <laughs> my own species. Tonight we're going to be discussing anthology films. But before that, what you guys need to do, it helps out the show a lot. If you go to adamandeve.com, use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Anthology films. They've been around almost since film began. There are three types of anthology films, really. I mean, there are lots of subtypes, but really there are three types of anthology films that are actual anthology films. You have the straight anthology, where it's four unconnected stories, usually four, sometimes three, multiple unconnected short films, basically, all within one banner. Anthology mm. film. Or you have the hosted anthology film, where you maybe have one thread that's going through all of the different stories that links them all together, maybe one character in the background or something like that. And you other you have these otherwise disconnected stories in the movie. And then you have the third kind, which is the one where it gets a little more rubbery as you're kind of trying to define it. And that's where you have the connected anthology. One character will meet another character, but then they have their own little story, and then that character meets another character, which, like, hands off the baton to that character. Something like Trick or Treat is the connected anthology, where all the stories and characters meet each other at one point, but it's still an anthology film. I've seen some places that are counting Pulp Fiction under that definition, and, and I'm like... I'm like, yeah, I don't think of Pulp Fiction as an anthology film, but it kind, it kind of, of is. is. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Because it is. It's, it's these, like, it's four or five kind of different stories going on at the same time, and we see them from each sort of group of characters' perspective. And I guess I guess another subset of that would be where you have one character in, like, multiple stories, like Four Rooms, to stick with Tarantino. Mm. Four Rooms, Ted is the only character that's in all four stories, five if you count the whole Betty interlude. I don't know, does that count as an anthology film, or is that just a film about Ted's weird night at work? Maybe just Ted's weird night at work. I don't know. It depends uh, on how different all, all four stories are. 
I don't know. I think I think that's definitely more of an anthology because, you know, while it does have, you know, Ted as the link that holds them all together, uh, a lot of anthologies have that you know, thread like, uh, in the Tales from the Dark Side movie, the kids are in the oven waiting to be cooked and you have the, you know, the person telling the story. And these are all these different stories. So is this, it's like he's the bellboy and he's running into all these different, uh, wacky characters. And mm. each one was a different story directed a different by yeah. a different person, you know, so you had a director doing uh, each one. And, uh, and that's definitely um, anthology then. Sadly underrated. A lot of people, uh, just have never seen four rooms for whatever reason. And the, the, you know, did you misbehave is, is worth it, is worth it right there. The misbehaviors is the best segment in that whole thing. But strangely enough, my favorite segment in four rooms is one of the non segment segments. It's the interlude where he's talking to Marissa Tomei at Betty's house about what had happened in the film up to that point. I don't know why, but I just find that like little five minute interlude hilarious. Let's talk about what an anthology film has going for it and what it has going against it. An anthology film, they don't make them as much anymore, although that's making a comeback. But what are the strengths of an anthology film? To me, I think the strengths of an anthology film are that you've got usually different voices, different visual styles, different storytellers, all within maybe one banner. But at the same time, that also leads to one of the weaknesses of an anthology film. I cannot think of a single anthology film where all the segments are good. There's always one weak link, almost by definition. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's always one that, even if it's not bad, it underperforms in relation to all of the, the stories or directors or whatever that's around it? Well, I mean, it's it just goes with the territory of having this variety of different filmmakers and different directors like doing each segment. There's going to be a few that you really like, and there's going to be one where maybe there's a director that's kind of weaker, or at least his segment, uh, his or her segment is weaker. Um, it just it just comes with the the territory of of an anthology. I mean, if you if you look at one one in particular, I mean, I enjoyed every segment of this of this particular one. But I mean, heavy metal, every segment is very different. Animation wise, writing wise, music wise, like totally. there's always different tonally, yeah, a, a different tone. Um, and they all work really well, but they're all incredibly different. So it it would not be a shock to end up not enjoying one of them just because they're all so completely different and all like adding something different to to the overall story and to the overall aesthetic of of that movie so that's just going to happen that's going to happen with an anthology and one, one of my favorite things about anthology movies is if i don't end up liking this segment i just might like the next one or the next two like i think that's what makes them fun because they're they're always short they're short little segments and it's like well this one kind of sucked but the next one might be cool well i wouldn't say always i can think of one instance where well i can think of two instances instances where it was basically full films together and that would be grindhouse i do consider that an anthology film and yeah. and 1978's movie movie which is the film that inspired grindhouse which is two mm. complete films and movie movie even had a fake trailer in between them so you know those not short but i get your point as anyone who's ever, you know, really looked into film production knows, even if you have one outstanding story and a, you know, seasoned director, there's still the possibility 
that in the end, the final product may come out and just be crappy. Uh, for whatever reason, if you get, uh, you know, if you don't have a good editor or just some sort of studio politics come into play, the movie could end up being like dull or bad or boring. And so now you have usually four stories, seems to be about the standard, that are all trying to come together in one film. So that just amplifies the probability that at least one of them is going to go wrong in one way, shape, or form. So essentially, that's really the thing. You're increasing the amount of stories, which is increasing the chances of it failing. So what do you think works better for an anthology? More stories or less stories? For something like, okay, like, Let's just take Creepshow and Creepshow 2. Creepshow 3 doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. I don't care. That's one of the worst anthology. It's not, no, that's not one of the worst anthology films ever made. It's one of the worst films ever made is Creepshow 3. So Creepshow, the original Creepshow has not, not counting the, you know, the intro segment with, uh, that's why God made fathers, babe. Not counting that stuff, it has five segments. Whereas Creepshow 2 has longer segments, but there's only three. Again, not counting the framing stories with, with the kid mm-hmm. trying to get his, his, uh, package. It has three stories. I, I think Creepshow works a lot better because one of the problems that Creepshow 2 has, even with the best story, the raft, is it's too long. I think, in a way, more stories of a shorter duration sometimes works better. Wasn't Creepshow 2 also all just one director? Yes. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, uh, whereas I, whereas Creepshow... Could, uh, that makes sense. Creepshow was also one director. Creepshow was all George Romero. Creepshow, was uh, for some reason, I, I thought Romero just did... Uh... No. Huh. No, Creepshow directed all of... Romero directed... Romero... I could have sworn Joe Dante did a, did a few for the original Creepshow. No. George Romero mm-hmm. directed all the segments. They had different writers, but George Romero oh. directed the whole thing. Okay. Okay, maybe I'm, that's what I'm mixing it up with. But, cause uh, every segment kind of had, had its own aesthetic to it. Maybe he was just making callbacks to other filmmakers like, like Fulci and Dante and stuff like that and Argento. Well, he wanted it to feel the like. The crate definitely had an Argento vibe to it. He wanted it to feel mm-hmm. like exactly what it was trying to do, an EC comic book. He wanted it to feel like, a, you know, an old EC comic. And yes, there were even EC comic mm-hmm. anthologies. Amicus did those Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror anthologies in the seventies, which I also thought fell into the same problem as Creepshow 2. Segments were way too long and drug out. Because, you know, I, mm. I've spoken on this many, many times. Directors need to learn how to edit. And I don't mean that in the in the literal sense of knowing how to edit scenes together, but they need to know what doesn't need to be there. I cannot stand when a short film, a comedy segment or something goes on too long. You need to know it's sometimes less is more. Well, sometimes... You you def you need to have a separation. You need to have somebody there who has worked with you in the past, and and like it's a give and take with your editor. Now, if you're a director who's also your editor, I mean, every now and then you get somebody like Rodriguez who like you know he can do it all and he can do it all really well. But he's I mean he did pretty much. All of Desperado, I mean, Desper- or not Desperado. El um, Mariachi. Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time in Mexico. But yeah, he also, but I mean, started from El Mariachi. But in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, right, produced, directed, edited, you know, and as he said, chopped. 
But, uh, but, but so Rodriguez is an but anomaly. But a lot of times, and, and I mean that in a good an way. Well, because he can see when something's not working and he takes it out, or something, you know, it looks really good, but it's like, eh, it's dragging down the whole film. It doesn't really need to be there. So that's why you need to have somebody there who can who can convince the director, hey, this, I know this looks great. Hey, I know this costs a lot of money, but. It's, it drags the film down. So in the thing of anthologies, uh, with the stories, you kind of need to cut out the fat, so to speak. You don't need a lot of character development. You don't need a lot of, uh, just additional fluff that you would in a longer film. In this, it's like, look, you really want to be direct, get to the point. You know, here's the setup. Here's the punchline. And I think some of them, you know, I think about 20 minutes, maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes is about the perfect time for a short, uh, film within an anthology for it to work properly and to have each story flow and to because if you start to get bored then your anthology it's really going to start it's going to lose you but then on that same note you have something like the film imposter is an exact history lesson of why some of these cannot be longer because imposter the gary sinise vincent d'onofrio film was originally made as a 30 minute short that was going to be in an, in an anthology film that was never made ironically enough cc you'll probably get a kick out of this one of the other stories that was going to be in that was mimic but <laughs> but when, when that got dropped mimic went elsewhere imposter was made and as a 30 minute short and then they decided this is so strong we can make it a full movie oh my god this movie is the definition of padding you can see how there's a good 30 minute short film in this 90 minute movie but the gunfights the chases the endless people just walking down halls. You can see just how padded this is to try and get it to 90 minutes. Here's the thing, people. Sometimes a story can't be a movie. There's not enough story. Imposter is a perfect example of that. There was a short a while ago that was, I think it was also called Lights Out, that got picked up and turned into a full movie. And that actually was a very good full movie. So, I mean, it, it is possible. You know, you do, and that was only, a, like, I think, God, it was like a five-minute short or something. Um, but they took the concept and were able to stretch that out into a full movie. I think it can work, but sometimes there's just not enough. Because that imposter was taken from Philip K. Dick's short story mm. back when they were doing you know all the they were like oh my god we need in to the 90s every year had three or stuff. four philip k dick adaptations <laughs> yeah and uh and they were all trying to you know recapture total recall i think the only one that came close was uh screamers that was kind of the thing you you need to go to your source material and i, I mean maybe they should have went for an 80 minute instead of a 95 minute, and uh you'd be amazed at uh, how much you can trim out. But the thing is, too, when you're working on the film, sometimes you don't see how much things are stretched out or how like you're you're too invested in it. And that's why you need to have, you know, a good editor who can say, you know, who has really, you know, an investment in it, but an investment in making it work. And there's always going to be that push where you have the director who has the vision and they have the editor who says, you know, this needs to be taken out. Sometimes you have some overzealous editors and uh, they take out too much. And so there has to be that that give and take to meet somewhere in the middle to get the film uh, paced properly. I mean, it can work. It can work as far as taking a short story and stretching it or taking something that was meant for it. it depends. I mean, if all you're doing is adding padding to it, then you're not really 
doing it than you maybe shouldn't be doing it to begin with because you can't think of anything. But I mean, best example I can make is like, um, adapting the mist Stephen King's like short story into a feature length film and making it work. Like that worked really well. That was phenomenal. That was too. a great mm-hmm. movie. But what, what about when you have the exact opposite problem of imposter? Have either of you seen Night Train to Terror? I, that one's on my to watch list. I was going to watch it last night, but I decided to watch the roast of Bruce Willis instead. Night Train to Terror is weird in that there's one incomplete film in it. It's an anthology film of other existing films. It's got a new framing hmm. sequence of God and the devil on a train with one of the worst 80s rock bands ever. And the train is going to crash and they have a bet over, you know, humanity's souls. And so they tell these stories. One of them was a previously unfinished short film or a previously unfinished film that they just edited footage into. Two of the other stories are already movies. The Nightmare Never Ends and the Death Wish Club edited down from 90 minutes to 25 minutes. And you get the exact opposite problem of imposter. where that's horrible exactly there's not there's you just are watching this like wow these are moving fast yeah because there's an hour cut out of each of them (laughs) so yeah i i was um i've always seen the poster for that one and thought it looked cool and i've been wanting to check it out but now that i know what it is like what the fuck's the point it's just like clip shows of already existing movies like that's that's the stupidest thing I think I've... I'm glad I watched The Roast of Bruce Willis instead. But then you've got those, the and I don't want to say split second as literal split second type of things, but something like Amazon Women on the Moon, where you've got, what, 25, 30 different segments, almost all by different directors. And I'd say in something like Amazon Women on the Moon, you know, it's pretty rapid fire. There's only a few segments in Amazon Women that really overstay their welcome, that are that you feel are going on too long. And some are as short as a minute. You know, just a little quick Mm. one-minute interlude, like Blacks Without Soul or stuff like that, and then it moves on. And I I think that might be the best way to do a comedy anthology. I don't think that would work so much if you were trying to do a sci-fi or a horror film. But for well, no, you need you need mood. You need established mood to do horror. Mm-hmm. The segments need to be at least 15, 20 minutes. Right. Amazon Women on the Moon or or stuff like Can I Do Kentucky it? Fried Movie? Kentucky Fried Movie works. Or mm-hmm. oh my God, have either of you ever tried to sit through Can I Do It Till I Need Glasses? No. no. That's almost as painful as loose shoes or quackers, as some people would know it on video, <laughs> the Bill Murray one. Can I do it? Tell any glasses has a weird history. Now, this unknown actor named Robin Williams was in one of the segments in his very <laughs> first role. It was so bad they cut it from the film. So the initial release didn't have Robin Williams. Then he was on Mork and Mindy. So they put his scene back into the movie and re-released it. He has one of the most painfully unfunny scenes you'll ever sit through outside of modern Saturday Night Live. Oh, man. And it's all marketed as, Ron Williams, first film! And it's like, yeah, I bet he wishes it weren't. Kind of like <laughs> Sylvester Stallone's first film. So, well, I don't know. We, 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 we didn't see Robin Williams' dick in this, so. No, we certainly didn't. We didn't see the stallion. Yeah, didn't, didn't see him uh, standing in a circle of people holding hands with flaccid dicks and droopy titties. <laughs> That was some weird shit, man. That wasn't even porn. That was borderline experimental. When it comes to comedy anthologies, I think it's way more hit and miss than in horror or sci-fi or action or something. Like, movie 43 is unwatchable. Oh. Yeah. The movie... I knew you were gonna... It's, it's terrible. But but then you also have... It's terrible. You also have stuff like National Lampoon Goes to the Movies that, on paper, 
is really funny. In execution, you just go, oh my god, can this just end? There's no laughs to be found anywhere in this movie. Just end. Movie 43, again, on paper, this should have been funny or it should have been good, but it suffered from what we've been talking about. You needed an editor. It opens up with the Hugh Jackman thing having balls on his chin. And it's like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then, it's yeah, like, and then you're like, oh, this is, this is going to go on for 10 minutes, isn't it? And it's going to keep going. And it's going to, and oh, yeah, it just, it, it like, it would have been funny for like maybe five minutes if they would have had like a, you know, a, a little bit more of a setup. And then, but it just, it kept going. And then the kid who was going through, uh, who was being homeschooled and his parents were like hazing him and stuff. Again, it could have been funny, but it just kept going. And it's like, I think they were trying to go with the very popular, we're going to keep going until it's not funny, but then we're going to go so long that it becomes funny Seth again. Seth MacFarlane humor. And it's, yeah, this, and it's like, that doesn't always work. That really, that really is hard works. to get it to work. It, I wouldn't say rarely, but it just needs to be done by the right people that understand yes. the timing of it to get it to work. And they just kept going and kept going. And it's like, this is still not funny. This is not funny. Oh, I kind of giggled there for like a second in a 25 minute bit that, or, or in a 10 minute bit that felt like it was 25 minutes. When, when something just keeps going and going, that never never is funny on the other hand look at kentucky fried movie where they would randomly do the random arrow shooting a guy thing throughout the whole film but it wasn't just 15 straight minutes of people getting randomly shot with arrows spacing it out made it funny it made it just pure mm -hmm. randomness well, Kentucky Fried Movie was done by a bunch of very talented people and a bunch of very funny people. And there were no helicopters and for John Landis to kill anyone with. There are. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. But I think the new thing is we, we've entered an era of anti-comedy where you get people that will go up and give like a TED talk. And, and like that somehow is like they're, they're not giving a TED talk, but essentially they're getting up there and they're doing what could be seen as a TED talk, but they're calling it like, this is the most fun this is brilliant it's it's like no i i kind of like comedy to have some jokes in there somewhere but but then you also have some anthology films that i'm going to disqualify as anthology films because they're fake anthology films stuff like body bags or 1983's nightmares i think body no, bags count. I, I, why, I, why wouldn't body I, bags i'll count? explain that in a moment nightmares in 1983 Actually, four, four, the first four episodes of a TV show that never got made. You'll notice no swearing. There, there's even places where you can see where a commercial might go, but they edited past it. Nightmares was supposed to be a TV series. And then when that didn't get picked up, they just edited it into a movie, and now it's Nightmares. That's not really an anthology film. Same with Body Bags. Body Bags was supposed to be Showtime's answer to HBO's Tales from the Crypt. It was going to be mm. their horror anthology. And then when it didn't get picked up for whatever reason, they just edited all the segments together and released it as Body Bags the movie. It did a good job of it, though. Like, it flows together nicely. I like it Body does, Bags a lot. It does, but it's really just the first three episodes of a TV show edited together. That's not an anthology film It still to works, me. though. 
Yeah, I mean, you in, have in the, the nice end, little thread of of you know John Carpenter working as the like the mortician or whatever, and then he's opening up a new body bag, and that starts the next story. I I think that one, even though it was meant to be a TV show, it it works perfectly as a movie. Yeah, even though like in the end the product comes out to be an anthology, I think that's really all that counts is that they actually you know when they combine them together, it does make an anthology. It's different stories, and they don't really have anything to do with the, with one another, but they're all horror stories. It's it's interesting. Interesting. Although in the case of Nightmares, everybody loves the Bishop Battle. <laughs> Same thing with Quicksilver Highway, the Christopher Lloyd one with Clive Barker and Stephen King written stories. That was a pilot for Fox, and they just threw it on video hmm. as a movie once they didn't pick up the pilot. What about Trilogy of Terror? Trilogy of Terror was actually a TV movie, but that that is an anthology TV movie. So Trilogy of Terror, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And because uh, I mean that with the uh, with the, the voodoo doll. That was hands down Freaking the best Zuni segment. fetish they, doll. Zuni fetish doll, man. <laughs> that thing is cre- that that nobody. I wouldn't say nobody, but ninety percent of people who've seen that movie, they don't remember the other two stories. They just remember. <laughs> that. I would say the same thing about Cat's Eye. Everyone remembers the cat trying to defend Drew Barrymore against the little goblin troll demon whatever from the wall. Who remembers the man on the ledge? I mean, maybe Quitters Inc. But if you say if yes. if you say Cat's Eye. They're immediately going to be the one with the troll fighting the cat. I I think all like the troll fighting the cat is is great, but the guy I know we were talking about this last week. I like the guy on the ledge and because it's a unique thing. And Quitter Zinc is fantastic. I I think sometimes like Cat's Eye is a perfect example of these needed to be in different order. I think starting with Quitter Zinc was a bad idea because it, it one's it's comical is not the right reason, but it's the most light hearted. Of all of the stories, that should have been in the middle. I I, um, I don't think I don't think they, they should have started with Quitters Inc. I do think that's the best one in the movie, but it shouldn't have been the first one. He smokes a cigarette and they rape his wife. That's not the tone so of the whole com- thing is overtly comical, dude. <laughs> I know, but it's so like it's just brutal. I don't know. It's I I would I wouldn't say comical. I would say dark comedy. Okay, still dark comedy. What about when we get an anthology film that isn't an anthology film literally? Back in the early 80s, Empire Films was going to release a film called Pulse Pounders. Basically, it was going to be a series of anthology films that would have short films that would work sort of like TV pilots, but for future movies. We'll do a 25-minute short, and then if that goes over well with the audience, then maybe that becomes its own franchise. And that's where Transfers 2, well, it was meant to be Transfers 2, we know it as Transfers 1.5, City of Lost Angels, and you have the evil clergyman, and you had a Dungeon Master sequel that never got released. But they put out two of the three segments as short films on Full Moon Direct. That's an anthology film where we've seen two-thirds of the anthology, but not as a film. I mean, I was glad that they were able to finally find uh, good enough source material that they were able to, you know, finally release nice if Dungeon Master ever comes out. Well, yeah, the original Dungeon Master, because we got... You know, a couple of the the, the dungeon. We got the the the, the movie with uh, well, right. With Richard Mall. I, I mean, the Pulse Pounders segment of Dungeon the Master, which is totally different, apparently, than the movie. Yeah, um, I you know they're working on it. I but it's uh, uh, I mean, I as I said with the other ones, they weren't intended to be an anthology, but they were combined to make an anthology. In this case, it's kind of the opposite. It was originally supposed to be an anthology, but then they were released as individual segments. So I think that uh, right now they stand as short films and not an anthology. 
I mean, that can count, but it's also kind of like a conceptual thing. It's like, well, here, here are these movies, which one should become its own thing kind of thing. It's, it's almost like a combining promotional material with anthology, with an anthology film, which, which is interesting. And in all honesty, I think Charles Band had a good idea with that because it is a know, good idea because you don't know at that point, you know, with the market of their eighties at that point was pretty volatile when it came to sci-fi. Cause remember sci-fi and fantasy were really getting their ass kicked at the box office to do four three to four pilots if you will i keep going to that word but that's basically what they were pilots in one film was kind of a genius idea it didn't work obviously because the film never even came out but it was a good idea yeah they could have played off of uh what ended up being popular and, and, you know, taking it from there. And who knows? I mean, maybe it would have been funny, you know, if you could do like an alternate timeline where it gets released and then Dungeon Master ends up being the popular one. And we have like nine Dungeon Master films and they didn't continue transfers or something. I mean, I'd be devastated because I love transfers, but I'm just saying it'd be funny if, uh, you know, looking at it from an alternate perspective, like how would have things turned out had that actually come out? Well, and, and weirdly hmm. enough, and I was talking with Fred the other day about about this and he pointed out to me something i didn't notice about the transfer city of lost angels thing that's the only transfer sequel that feels like an actual sequel like tonally it looks like the original transfers the the lighting the costuming because when transfers 2 actually came out that was under you know full full moon at that point and they had different styles of budgets you know we're into the 90s by that point but transfer city of lost angels really does feel like a companion piece to the first film doesn't it yeah it has that look and it does have that vibe because as much as i love transfers 2 it is it's much brighter cleaner uh cleaner and like more because it's it's taking it's almost like it's in a different timeline now that they've kind of changed things a little bit it uh yeah it's it looks nicer like if you were to watch the two back to back it's it really does make it even more dramatic at how much of a difference it is. Well, I I meant I made the John Landis helicopter joke earlier. What about Twilight Zone the movie? Because to me, Twilight Zone the movie, I'm going to count the intro segment as a segment, so it has five segments as far as I'm concerned, and I think only two of them truly work. I think the Vic Morrow one does work to a degree. Well, he really sells it. Oh, he's, he's really fantastic good in that one. I'm not complaining about him. Mm-hmm. He was mm. head and shoulders above the rest. Oh, but oh, you sack of shit. Uh, how, how long are you hanging on to that one? Sorry, it just came to me. I, I, th- I think that one, that one was almost too mean-spirited. I get what they were going for, but especially with the rest of Twilight Zone, the movie, that one was came across as especially mean-spirited, and especially with the ending. And I know the that's only, not the, the intent. I didn't like was that one in the old folks' home or whatever that they yeah, want to be like, yeah, the Spielberg kids again one, or whatever. Like that one oh, really didn't yeah, belong. That, that felt like an Amazing Stories episode. Two years before yeah. Amazing Stories, yeah. But exactly. to me, Twilight Zone, the movie will always be that goddamn creepy grim on the airplane that still scares me to this fucking day. That segment makes the entire movie. Like, that's what I remember Twilight Zone 4 almost entirely. Like, I remember bits and pieces of everything, but that's the one that really stood out because, yeah, as a, as a kid, that one freaked me out, and I still think it's creepy. And- and and the and the the kid the kid, the kid uh, yeah that's like he can use his imagination to like turn people into shit. There's that, yeah, but that, that one was cool. That one had really like awesome uh, effects in it. Yeah, when the when he's the giant rabbit thing that comes out of the you know oh, oh it's god. Like, 
Uh, that's just oh, it's practicals that are just fantastic. that that one that was Peter is horrifying to look at when I was younger, and I look at it now. Yeah, that was it still yeah. looks it still looks so cool. Yeah, that was Joe Dante. Yeah, and then they spoofed it in The Simpsons. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, I've said it before, but that that Gremlin, the fact that whenever it's on screen, they undercrank the camera to make it move at an unnatural rate. Oh, it's just creepy, yeah. man. It mm-hmm. looks like it could be stop motion, but it isn't. That's what makes it like it's very like otherworldly. Yeah, you've also got you know other other anthology films that I wouldn't have in- initially called anthology films, but then when I started to think about it, I went, yeah. They actually are. Something like Sin City. Again, I would call Sin City sure. an anthology film. Mm-hmm. Or the the big one for me is, uh, there's two in this category. I never considered these anthology films, but I guess they are. I considered them m- m- maybe like extended 90 long, 90 minute long music videos, Moonwalker and The Great Rock and Roll Swindle. And it's like, yeah, if you think mm-hmm. about it, they are anthology films though, aren't they? I don't think I've seen either of those. Oh God, Moonwalker! Moonwalker's pretty it's dated, so, man. It's so well. Dated. To be fair, I mean, so is Great Rock and Roll Swindle, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and what it, what's the other one? Michael Jackson's Scary Stories. I haven't seen that one, but I did see Moonwalker. Oh, uh, you Michael never saw Jackson's the one? Scary Stories. Does does the whole thing take place on Neverland Ranch? <laughs> Jesus juice. I think like the, where he turns himself into a door. It's, it's just, uh, it, there, yeah, it's, uh, I think that's what it's called. Michael Jackson's scary, but, um, it's, uh, and of course he's scaring the hell out of children <laughs> even before court, <laughs> but, but moonwalker, he, he becomes a mech and he, and, and he gets shot down by, uh, by Joe Pesci, who's like this drug dealer, child abductor. It's so weird. Wait, is this the movie that the, the, video game yes. was based on yes because i've only played the video game i've never seen the yeah. movie and, and then the movie I've goes always a wondered lot about that it's like what the hell is this yeah the movie goes a lot weirder than the video game does surprisingly and and oh, uh, the great Christ. rock and roll swindle is the sex pistols movie okay i've actually never seen that yeah i haven't seen that one i only know of moonwalker just because of the video game and that, that game had some awesome music Oh, the game is fantastic. We're still, they're still making anthology films. You're just not hearing about them as much anymore. A couple of years ago, I think maybe two years ago, Rumorg magazine put out Galaxy of Horror. And I, I thought that's kind of weird. Okay. Remember when Fangoria got into films back in 1990 and you're like, and the first film Fangoria, the number one horror magazine is going to release is a sci-fi movie. Okay. <laughs> and Room Org, we're getting into films. The first thing we're releasing is a sci-fi anthology. You just kind of like, okay, am I missing something here from the marketing meetings? Well, I mean, it's Galaxy of Horror, right? right. But it's still, you don't when you when you think of Room Org magazine, when you think of Fangoria magazine, you don't think of science fiction. Is my point? Well, not necessarily, but I mean, they do promote like sci-fi horror and stuff. Like, obviously, Fangoria is featured, uh, Predator and, and Alien and things like that. So, I mean, it's it's not it's not outside of their ballpark. It's just weird as your debut. <laughs> yeah, kind uh, of. You'd think it would be something more like like straight horror, like a like a slasher film or a ghost movie or something. Speaking of of weird anthologies, I've got one for you. If you've ever heard of Cradle of Filth, they put oh, out Jesus. an anthology movie called Cradle of Fear. 
and uh, Danny Filth was in it, and it's um, it's it's very. I don't want to say it's very low budget, but it's low budget, and uh, it's a bunch of different horror stories. If you're a fan of the band, it's worth it's worth checking out simply because it's like, all right, let's see how this goes. Uh, but I think a lot of people would be like, what the hell is this crap? God, it couldn't be it couldn't be any worse than like Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood was oh, Tales love- from the Hood was terrible, Cecil. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so cheesy. Oh come on, Tales from the Hood is they're just putting out a sequel for Tales from the Hood. David Allen Greer playing the freaking uh, the abusive uh, stepdad who gets like twisted up at the end, and uh, it's I don't know I the the one with the 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 clan politician that gets attacked by all the little things coming out of the the sharecropper painting, and it's uh, I I was when they announced they were doing a sequel, I was really excited, but then I'm like, oh god, all the late sequels we've had recently have been terrible, right? So I'm like, maybe I don't want this. But there, there are other models. <laughs> Modern anthologies that are pretty decent worth checking out like last halloween i caught tales of halloween that was actually pretty decent mm. have either of you seen that one yeah i haven't tales seen that one but i've been kind of digging the what are those ones they're like the vhs oh, anthologies those, but i'm sure cecil uh, loves them now vhs1 had some good stories but yeah some, had some really good segments but vhs2 i thought was gr- like it was head and shoulder like head and shoulder vhs2 was Way better than the first one. I thought they Which set up a good the, idea. Which um, one the, the the alien segment? That was where they're two. like getting abducted. Yeah, that was two. That was that awesome. was so good. That had some fantastic sound design with the lights that just and the that's, that one is like all abducted. atmosphere and mood and done so well and it's so creepy. Yeah, that and the uh, and the the the, the uh, play, I forget the name of it, but the one where they're trying to uh, summon the devil. Yes. That's so good. It that's is. Like really you people well are done. both idiots. Uh, oh, you're a moron. No, you're the and, idiot. Well, and for Chillerama, which was shockingly good. But again, they needed to... Is that the one with the, the cum, cum yes, monster? Yes, yeah, uh, Wadzilla. <laughs> the, this one also needed to learn how to edit. Almost every one of the segments goes on too long. Although hmm. Night of the F***ing Dead is really interesting, where people get turned into zombies. Night of the f- Yes, dead? they turn into zombies, but they don't this eat like a you. Porn parody? They screw you to death. They rape you to death. Oh, lovely. Yes, it's Night of the F***ing Dead. Disco Beaver from Outer Space. Have either of you seen that? No. No, but it sounds uh, terrific. It was a 1980 National Lampoon HBO special that is basically, although this is prior to Amazon Women on the Moon, the same premise. Somebody just flipping channels on cable and you see all these weird things. The the, the running segment is a, a disco, a beaver who has disco music as his theme song, cut landing in New York and not being able to find any wood to eat, so he's, like, trying to eat, you know, light poles and things. And the other big one that everyone remembers is Dracula, Queen of Darkness. Dracula is an effeminate homosexual, and when he bites a man's wrists, they go limp-wristed and they go gay. Isn't Dracula already kind of an effeminate this homosexual? This is Dracula. He already kind of dresses in drag. I mean, the man wears a cape and makeup. The the Rob Zombie song? <laughs> I've been singing the wrong song. Uh, I brought I brought up earlier Loose Shoes, or, although on video it was released as Quackers with a W, Quackers. The only reason you'd ever want to see this is because Bill Murray's in one segment and he looks miserable. <laughs> he, he does. Future Shock 
from 1993 is a weird one, especially depending on what mm. video release you get of it. There's a framing sequence that was added to the home video release that's on some versions of the DVD that's not on other versions. But the Bill Paxton segment is the only one that's worth any anything at all in Future Shock. There's stuff like mm. uh, American Raspberry and the Groove Tube and Tunnel Vision, which are very much 70s, Amazon Women on the Moon style, you know, just rapid fire sometimes, you know whole segments are as short as 30 seconds they've got a lot of humor you could not get away with today like at at Mm. one point they have an ad for a tv show you gotta remember this is like 76 77 in new york faggot hunting in central park tonight at 11 oh jesus that's an actual joke in the movie yeah can't get away with that today well you remember well did you ever see the deleted scenes from UHF? I'm not sure if I ever saw the deleted scenes, no. Uh, no, well, no, I haven't seen any behind-the-scenes uh, stuff either. Weird Al was talking about something, and he's like, he's like, when he was showing the deleted scenes, he's like, you know, here's a scene. He's like, it's funny, and I still think it's funny. He's like, but things you can't really get away with today. And it was like, it was these two guys, and really effeminate. And it's like, tune in for tonight's adventures with, oh, those gays! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, in, in a weird way, the groove tube, which came out a year before Saturday Night Live went on the air, is sort of a pilot for Saturday Night Live. It's got a couple of Saturday Night Live's original writers. It's got, like, Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and Richard Belzer and some other people who would be Saturday Night Live regulars at the beginning and a lot of the same style humor. In a weird way, the Groove Tube is sort of a Saturday Night Live training ground. So I recommend that one Mm. if you're an old-school SNL fan. Although, there are lots of, you know, racial and uh, ethnic humor that you just could not get away with today. Oh, jeez. What about, no, this one is, an, I think this is in the same category as Pulp Fiction. What about 1999's Go? I do think that is an anthology film. Just all the characters happen to cross over with one another at one point in the movie. I, I never really thought of it as an anthology film, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm going, yeah, if Pulp Fiction is, then so is Go. Yeah, Pulp Fiction is, so is Go, because Go is a movie that came out in the wake of Pulp Fiction. Yes. Like, I mean, they even kind of, like, they didn't promote it as Pulp Fiction, but the way that they sold it was very much like Pulp Fiction. And, uh, so yeah, it's definitely an anthology series. Um, it's stories that are intertwining and it's all, the hub of it is Sarah Polly, you know, her, her day at work, and then it's going into all the different stories. But yeah, it's all tied together and, uh, really great movie. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely should. It is tremendously good. Some some excellent writing and a lot of segments that go go in ways that you're not expecting them to. I still laugh when when Scott Wolf and Jay Moore hit Sarah Polly with their car and she's on the uh, hood and the windshield and he and they panic and he turns on the windshield wipers to try and wipe her away. <laughs> I still <laughs> laugh at that. Just it, I, I don't know. Maybe you have to see it, but I I thought that was hilarious. It, it is funny because it's so like it, it's, it's so it's, it's so panic a, logic, you know? Yeah, it's like I you know like just. Just wipe her away, you know. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Or um, there's of course Mel Brooks History of the World Part One, which again, mm-hmm. like most anthologies, some segments work, some segments really do not. Yeah, <laughs> you got uh, the Illustrated Man, the the film of the, the anthology film of Ray Bradbury stories, which is again like most anthologies, really really hit and miss. Uh, you got Trick or Treat. I brought it up earlier. I 
I adore Trick or Treat. I watch this movie every Halloween with my girlfriend. I love this film. I think this is how you do an anthology. Trick or Treat 2 is supposedly coming out soon. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know. I mean, the the first one I think is tremendous. The first one, man, did the studio blow it. I mean, they, they had they didn't it. even release it for they, like three years, something like that. Something, it might have even been more. It might have been like four years. They had it. They sat on it. They did nothing with it. And then, what's her name? Uh, uh, Suki in, in that, um, True Blood Anna show. Anna Paquin? She becomes Anna Paquin. She becomes popular, adore, like while they're sitting on it and they still don't release it. I'm like, release it. And, you know, like normally, so, you know, somebody in a movie that is shelved becomes popular. They release it. They sell it as, you know, starring. I don't remember, but they didn't. I'm like, why aren't you releasing it? And finally, you've got a Halloween themed anthology film. And what did they release it in January? The, the, they like, initially wanted to release it on Valentine's Day. Yeah. It's like Halloween. Why is it so hard to put the, like October, you idiots? And it was just really frustrating because it had been shown at like a bunch of film festivals and it were like got best of show. All these people loved it. It was great. So what are we going to do? Let's do nothing with it. Finally does come out. It's become a literal Halloween staple. Every TV channel yeah. battles for it. There are people who have screenings, theaters try and get prints of it to show on Halloween and they sell out every year. Just shows you how much the studios know. Because Trick or Treat became immensely popular once they released the damn thing. And mm. it became immensely popular immediately. Once, like, once it came out, people, even though it came out in, like, the wrong, like, I'm seriously, I think it came out, like, January. It was just idiotic. But even then, people were like, this, I'm, I'm going to watch this again in Halloween. This is going to become the new thing. And it has. So I think it makes sense for them to want to try to capitalize and do another one. I don't know how it's going to go, but I've been really fairly pleased with the director's work since then that he's he's been pretty consistent, although I didn't really care for his last film. But I do think that uh, going back to his roots, uh, we might uh, we might have a good one because Krampus was really good. Uh, that was another Krampus one. Was it wasn't really a, good, it wasn't... but he also wrote Superman Returns, so we can't forgive him for that. Well, to be fair, we don't know how much of his script got meddled with by uh, by the director. So uh, I mean, we'll. I, I am more willing to, and then also, I mean, he's that making was a, the new Godzilla movie though, so I, 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 I'll guess we'll see how King of the Monsters works out because he's making that one. Yeah, which it's it's an odd choice, but um, you know, we'll see. Like, I mean, I think it's it's one of the best anthologies we've gotten in years. I mean, there's not really, I think you guys have pretty much said what what needs to be said about it. I think it's really awesome. It feels like Halloween is supposed to feel. That's one of the things I loved yes. about it immediately is. The tone and the atmosphere, it feels like Halloween. And that's something a lot of Halloween-themed movies are not able to to nail down. So, so the final question before we leave for tonight, then, is anthology films. What do you like about them? N not specific films, but in general. What do you like about an anthology film, say, versus a, a regular narrative, you're following one character through a story arc adventure type film? What draws you to anthology films when when you get a good one? Well, I mean, it's what I said earlier in the episode. It's kind of it's kind of refreshing to get a, a different story every every 15, 20 minutes or every 10 minutes or however long the, the segments are. 
instead of having to focus on on the one story it's it's sort of um it's almost like combining a tv show and a movie in a way it's it's, it's like you're binge watching like three or five episodes of something and i think it's kind of cool to see what um an established director or even like a new director can do in the span of of 30 minutes and to see how much development can be put into it um how much of the story can get fleshed out how interesting it, it can become in that short period of time i think it's a really cool way to show how skilled or unskilled a filmmaker is because i think i i feel like if you have a lot of time to make something if you have like a, a movie that's going to be an hour and a half or two hours it's a little bit easier to to flesh it out and make it work but i think if you can make it really succinct like like in a in a span of 30 minutes and still manage to flesh everything out and make it really really watchable and really enjoyable and somehow manage to still get to know all the characters you've done a really good job which i think is what's really cool about about anthology films especially when they're done right it's tough because there's been um you know good anthologies bad anthologies i like i like ones that have like a running thread through them um that usually are tied together in some way shape or form it just it kind of keeps you invested a little bit more than just a bunch of random stories not saying that a bunch of random stories don't work works there i don't know it's uh there's that little extra if there's something holding them all together like trick-or-treat i i like them i don't actively seek them out because sometimes it's almost like eh, we had a couple of half-baked ideas we threw together and we made it you know put this movie together but when they work they usually really work for anthology films i'm going to leave this up to the audience Send us what you think are your best anthology films or whether we're crazy on the ones we did or did not like here. Also, there are a lot of new anthology films being made, these direct-to-video ones. I want to direct one of these. Film producers, I want to direct a segment of an anthology film. Email us, 1201beyond.gmail.com. So, where can people find Peter if he wants to be anthological? <laughs> well, there are many different uh, segments that you can see me in. Uh, you can watch my Twitter segment um, at Cinematica, or perhaps if you're more into Facebook, um, the Cinemasicus there, or maybe you want to watch the YouTube segment. You can find me on there, or of course, 1201beyond.com, um, where you can find my t-shirt segment. Um, and also, of course, if you're if you want to pay, there is my Patreon segment. At Zinematica. So you have, you have lots of options. It's, it's, it's a six segment anthology film. And Cecil doesn't have segments. He is just a complete story arc of him being wrong and then figuring out just how wrong he is about everything. You're wrong. As always, find me being not wrong over at uh, goodbadflix.com, goodbadflix on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact the show, as I said before, at 1201beyond at gmail.com. And guys, we have a Patreon. If everyone who listens to the show donates $1 a month, we could actually get better equipment and not sound the way we do. Because I, I always love when, when when we get complaints. Oh, your, your mics sound bad, or, you know, it sounds like nah, nah, nah. And it's like, well, if donate to the Patreon so I can, we can get better stuff. F*** you. <laughs> it's like, okay then, so me i guess if you guys want to help out there's a patreon for 1201 beyond or radio drone go and help out if everyone who listens to this show just who listens to this episode donates one dollar a month we could actually make this a better show so guys try to be a cut above keep one foot in the gutter one fist in the gold have a good night <laughs>
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.